Good evening, IT entrepreneurs, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Joe Panateri, content czar for AfterNines.com. Thanks for joining us each Tuesday night at 9.01 p.m. Eastern and sometimes in between. Now, under podcast episode 16, my conversation with Seismic CEO Doug Winter. We discuss how Seismic raised $20 million in Series B financing, how Winter engaged the VCs, and how Seismic hopes to change the world of sales enablement cloud tools. Hey, Doug, thanks for joining the program. How you been? Uh, doing really well, Joe. Thanks for having me. Uh, I appreciate your time. Hey, you know, obviously the big news is the $20 million in Series B funding. But before we get to that, let's introduce you and Seismic to our audience. Now, as I understand it, you position Seismic as a sales and enablement platform for the, uh, for the enterprise. What exactly do you mean by that? What is uh, your market focus exactly? Sure. Seismic is a content-centric sales enablement tool. So we're really helping sales teams and marketing teams work together much more effectively and efficiently. As you look at the marketplace, how it's evolved over the last few years, you know, Salesforce really started by taking CRM um, and putting it in the cloud, which really ends up you know, taking data that's been traditionally locked away about your customers, making it accessible over the cloud and making it accessible to a lot more people, the salespeople, uh, in an easier way. You know, and that really was the starting point and started to unlock the automation of the sales and marketing process that had, had traditionally been uh, the way it had been traditionally done. So the next in kind of evolutionary terms, you know, marketing automation really hit. And you've got uh, companies like uh, Marketo and Eloqua who really, uh, you know, led that space and were able to provide solutions that automated a lot of the processes at the top part of the funnel, you know, in the marketing phase uh, of new customer acquisition. Sales enablement is really kind of continuation of that trend. It's it's moving some of those same capabilities, but moving them further down the funnel to help sales teams that in working on deals that are active, mm -hmm. uh, and, and helping them communicate that more effectively with their customers. And that's really what Seismic is about is is being able to do that. So helping sales teams be more effective um, by allowing them to have access to the materials that they need. Um, what's really unique about Seismic is a concept we call LiveDoc, which says the content's no longer just static, but actually can be created and customized for you based on all the information that you have about the customer. So okay. if you know okay. what industry they're in, if you know what uh, competitive products they might be looking at, you, our tool allows the marketing teams to deliver customized content, you know, a PowerPoint presentation or another type of document or a brochure or, or whatever it's needed in the sales process that's been highly customized and optimized for that particular conversation. So okay. think one-to-one so, -one so, sales, but in a business-to-business -business context. Understood. Now, let me ask some naive questions. Um, I, I'm sort of visualizing what this solution could be in my head and I'm sure I've got it wrong so I need some clarification as you sure. were, as you were walking us through that you know I started thinking about um, sales documents living in inbox or Dropbox and or add-ons to salesforce.com are, are you basically stitching together multiple solutions or are is what you're describing a complete solution that that seismic has built and hosts itself so it is actually a complete solution, but it's one that was built with a, an, a realistic understanding of the world um, in that people have content in a lot of places like Box or Dropbox or SharePoint or legacy systems and that you know they want to be able to leverage that content. So we make it really easy to take 
and connect to content stores wherever they might be. Um, but but then in, in, enhance that experience by delivering the live doc experience, which says customization of that content. And then on the back end for the marketing teams, very robust and mature uh, capabilities to allow them to manage the versioning and the sharing and reuse of piece parts. Um, you know, you might have tables or charts that are used in all kinds of documents across the organization, being able to update those in one place and, and push the updates out to all the different content where it's being used. So definitely integrates with a lot of the other systems that are out there, um, but can also stand alone for, for, for customers that, that will want to take that approach. Okay, pretty neat. So I mean, you're, you're solving some complex problems here. On the back end, you're touching multiple systems if you need to. But then on the front end, as I understand it, correct me if I'm wrong, you're able to uh, get the, this information out to any type of device. Uh, is, is that a fair way to put it? Yeah, we, um, from the very beginning, uh, said that wherever salespeople are spending their time, we want to be at their fingertips, mm -hmm. you know, and what that means is if they're spending their time all day in Salesforce, which a lot of salespeople do, uh, we want to make sure that they don't have to leave that environment to get the content that they need to customize the content that they need. You know, our tagline is, uh, is content in context and, and being able to supply the right content for what a salesperson is actually doing and then customize that content really gives you a very sharp pointed, uh, you know, message that you can then share and deliver to your client. Okay. All right. That helps clarify it. Thank you. Hey, let's, let's jump to the, to the big news of the day, so to speak. And, and that's the fact that you just completed your $20 million in series B financing. Now, how do you intend to use that money? Um, very judiciously, of course. Um, we uh, we're very excited to have, have closed this round, and it's really you know, we look at the sales enablement space as something that's evolving very quickly. Um, it's a, a a relatively new space, and what that means is that there are a lot of players who are um, labeling themselves sales enablement that are doing very different things. If you look at what they're doing, you'd say, hey, that's not really a competitor, but it's still sort of helping solve that problem of, of, of uh, automating things further down in the, in the sales funnel. And whenever you have a rapidly evolving and emerging space, it's getting a lot of attention. You know, you're going to have consolidation in the marketplace. You're going to have, you know, very quickly leaders emerge. And the definition of what exactly sales enablement means is going to evolve and change and, and sort of start to become um, more standardized. So we felt like that getting a large uh, investment that would help us you know, really accelerate the pace of development. So a lot of the proceeds are going to go into, into the product and capturing some of the new opportunities that we see. Um, but then also, of course, you know, being able to tell the story. So mm -hmm. enhancing our marketing and our sales and other go-to-market activities. That's really where we're, where we're headed at. Um, but with all with the vision that we, you know, we move quickly, we can, uh, can, can become and, and maintain our position as a leader in this space. Okay. Now, now you're not a newbie when it comes to, to raising money as well as M&A deals. Um, I, you know, I took a, a close look at your history in the industry, and it sounds like you've been down this path before. Um, before we get to, to that more extended story, I'd like to focus just a little bit more on, on this current round. Sure. Uh, so JMI Equity, as I understand it, led this funding round. Tell me a little bit about how you engaged them and, and the relationship there. Was it you personally involved, or do you have a team at, at Seismic that, that basically handles these types of engagements? Yeah, so you know, I'm fortunate to be working with uh, a leadership team that I've worked with before. 
in different uh, roles at different uh, at different startup ventures in the past. And so we have a team that that's uh, fairly solid and has a lot of trust. Mm. Uh, and so you know when when it became clear that the timing was good for us, you know, in the in the late fall. Um, I basically said, "Hey guys, you're gonna you're gonna take the business now and, and keep running with it for the next quarter. You know, we got to hit our numbers. We got to continue to deliver uh, on the product features and keep our customers happy. I'm gonna go spend a few months really focused on on this fundraising and put put my heart and soul into it and see what we can do. Uh, and so I was able to, and, and, you know, limit the involvement of, and, uh, should I say involvement or should I say distraction yeah. to the rest of the team? I think other than, you know, certain specific milestones where, you know, obviously the investors wanted to meet the, the rest of the team and those kinds of things. But I was able to really limit that and, and kind of took the point point role on that. Understood. You know, I, I've been through a similar situation on a much, much, much smaller scale. Just to clarify, uh, our company, uh, one of our companies got acquired back in uh, 2011. And, and when that was going on, uh, it, while while your deal wasn't an M&A deal, uh, but, but while that financial uh, event was going on, my business partner managed the entire the entire process. And I just stayed focused on my portion of the business uh to your point you got to keep things running effectively the, the, the entire business can't uh, get distracted by uh a high stress but very exciting and and uh very opportunistic move uh, such as the one you just made so in, in terms of choosing jmi and or identifying them as the ideal partner here what what was the trigger point for that what what is it that uh, made you think yeah this is the one to go with yeah, you know, it's uh, it, it, we were fortunate that uh, we had had been doing very well, um, and that the sales enablement space and what we were doing was was getting noticed, um, and so we had a number of firms that approached us and said, "Hey, we're interested. We want to learn more. Um, is now the right time?" And so when we decided to formally start the process. Uh, you know, we had a, a good number of firms that we could go to and say, hey, now that the time is right, let's continue the conversation. And, uh, and JMI was definitely in the list. You know, they're a great firm. They're, um, uh, you know, one of their offices is here in San Diego where, where our, our headquarters are, which is, which is nice. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we went through the process with, an, with, a, with them and, and quite a few others. We ended up with several, several great offers from excellent firms. And it was a tough decision. It was a very tough decision. Um, I felt that they were a great choice uh, because they're focused so heavily on SaaS-based enterprise software companies, which is what we are. Yep. Um, they're a, a, a large firm that does uh, deals that uh, you know go up as, as high as kind of private equity types of deals. So it felt like they had the pockets and the, the, the vision to go long term as we do and be our partner from now through, you know, undetermined amount of time into the future, but lots of big plans. Um, I liked the, the, the partners there and the people there. Um, you know, a lot of great people that we spoke to and, and that we had offers from. Um, but I really also clicked, clicked with the, with the folks, uh, Peter Aerosmith, um, that that's the partner here and the rest of the rest of his team. And, um, it just felt like a, you know, a really good fit. Fantastic. Now, as I understand it, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think Sigma West was also in on this deal. Now, now I think they're this is ongoing for them. Weren't they engaged in your earlier round? And isn't it nice to have a sort of that long term commitment? Yes, absolutely. Um, Sigma West led our Series A uh, round um, back in August of 2013. 
And, um, and the partners there, you know, Pete Solvik is a partner we work with there. He was uh, instrumental in guiding me through the process. So, you know, I was able to very much leverage his expertise and experience in fundraising kind of from the other side of the table, but also taking other companies through follow on rounds, um, you know, through introductions to additional firms, but also just kind of how to work the process and how to kind of communicate with everyone and what was important. Um, that was really instrumental in us being successful with this round. And, and I'm you know, extremely grateful for them. And uh, they participated. They continued to invest uh, in the Series B. They really believe in what we're doing. And um, it's fantastic to have them continuing to, to stay engaged with us. Great. Excellent. Now, before we talk a little bit more about the products you offer and uh, the team you've built there, I'd like to ask just uh, maybe one or two more questions on this actual funding round. Um, I'm wondering, for, for our listeners who have never done a round and they're trying to figure out, boy, how much time and commitment is this going to take, can, can you give us a snapshot? How many weeks and or months uh, did it take from, from start to finish to pull this together? And then are there milestones or stages w- within this process uh, that uh, that our listeners should keep in mind? Yeah, that's a it's a great question, and you know, honestly, it's something that I've always maintained as a piece of my job. So since the Series A closed um, a year and a half ago, uh, you know, I will periodically get contacted by companies, uh, firms who are interested in what we're doing, who want to learn more, who may be interested in doing a follow on financing round. And, you know, it's tempted, tempting when you're, you know, flush with cash after the series A closed and everything's going well and you're focused on the business to just say, ah, you know, no, thanks, not interested. We're good right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but what we did is, is really the opposite. I, I said yes to virtually all of those conversations. You know, you invest 30 minutes, you learn about a new firm, you have some people that start to understand who you are, get them excited about what you're doing, and they start to follow you. Um, and then, you know, some of them over time, you know, you check back with the ones that felt like they would be a great fit. You check, check back with them every six months, every three months. Here's how the quarter went. You know, we're doing great. Our momentum is good. Here's what we're thinking of our plans for the future. Um, and then, you know, at that point now it sort of shortcut the process because when we really decided, Hey, the time is right for us, um, just based on, on the momentum we're seeing and the story that we're telling, um, we think now is really a good time for us to make the, take the next step. It was able to very quickly know who to talk to, who was interested. And, of course, we expanded the list a little bit at that point. Um, but largely, the firms that we talked to, you know, we already knew, and they already knew us. So it was a question of, you know, giving them an update, assessing, uh, sharing what our plans were, and kind of assessing their level of interest, uh, you know, kind of in both directions to, to figure out if they would progress the process quickly. Yeah, so we started – we started that stage in the process around um, the 1st of October. Okay. And so heavy meetings in October, um, in the first part of November, uh, partner meetings where you're going in and presenting to the entire par- partnership um, and, uh, you know, meet the rest of the team, those kinds of things, um, kind of high-level due diligence. And then we were able to kind of get to, to term sheets, uh, you know, in, in the Thanksgiving kind of time frame. So uh, that's just sort of lays out the timing. And I, I know it varies quite a bit. We took a, you know, we, we didn't have a particular sense of urgency. You know, we were fortunate to be doing well and not really need the additional funding. Uh, and so we didn't have a, an arbitrary deadline, which allowed the process to kind of progress naturally. 
Um, and, uh, you know, and then, and then that's, but that's kind of how it went. And we accepted and, and, and finalized on, uh, on JMI in you know, early December. Gotcha. Hey, one question out of left field. And, and, uh, if you don't want to answer it, you can say pass and we'll drop it out of the podcast. <laughs> sure. Don't worry. Um, so that you mentioned term sheets, um, and you know, I've seen some crazy term sheets over the years where, where the, the, uh, startup versus the investor can be on wildly different pages in, in your case can you offer any tips first of all you know were you at least in the same universe with with uh, your potential investors in terms of the term sheets and then when there is there's always going to be a gap it's a negotiation can you offer any tips in terms of how to uh, bring both the uh, investor and the startup closer together to to sign that uh, the ultimate resulting term sheet yeah, sure. You know, and, and here I think, especially with the Series B, I benefited greatly from uh, having my Series investor, you know, kind of in my camp, uh-huh. right, helping me out, helping me understand um, what was reasonable, what what uh, what I should care about, what the uh, other what the other party, what the VCs would care about. You know, that really helped quite a bit. Um, but you know, fundamentally, it's it's. Um, it's a, it's a competitive marketplace out there. And if you're, uh, what you're offering is something that there are a lot of, there's a lot of interest in, then you have more uh, say in the matter. Um, if you're, you know, not getting that same level of interest, uh, then you have to be a lot more flexible. I mean, it's, it's kind of the basic, uh, basic laws of, of capitalism at play Uh, and they play out, but you know, you're working with professionals, they get it, they understand where you're coming from, but they also have their own investors that they care about. And so I think I would encourage people to really understand the perspective of the VCs, how their business works, what they care about, you know, how their funds funds operate, um, where they are currently in the life cycle of the funds that they have, because you know, behaviors and interest levels might change depending on that as well. Sure. You know, the more that you know, the better you're going to be able to position yourself with those term sheets. Understood. Come into the room informed, without a doubt. Okay, so let's let's jump over uh, to the product and the services again and do a little bit of a deeper dive there. Now, we talk a little bit uh, about the sales enablement approach that you offer, but as, as I was studying up on the company, it sounds like you're also offering analytics for marketers. Talk to us a little bit about that. What exactly are your customers gaining on the analytics side? Yes, uh, um Incredibly important part of, of what we're offering and really ingrained in the product, not, a, not an add-on or additional product. But um, we used to hear all the time, we still do, from, from marketing teams, geez, I create all this great content, you know, I throw it out there, and I have no idea. Does anybody like it? Do they use it? How do they use it? Do their customers like it? What parts do they like? Um, what's important? What's not important? They don't have much insight, and that's a big piece of the problem that we're trying to help solve. So we've wired Seismic with analytics kind of from the very beginning, uh, and that can be um, – uh, that takes the form of, well, geez, just simple. How often is this particular video being watched, or how often is this particular uh, document being shared? You know, that's pretty straightforward, and there's lots of tools that can do that. Right. But with the right. live doc technology, you can start to do things that are, I think, more interesting, such as saying, hey, this document it can be personalized based on the industry. Um, how often is it being presented and shared to different industries? Right. Now I can gain insight. Where should I spend my money? Geez, you know, the banking industry is, is 50% of our, our usage. I need to put a lot of thought and effort and make sure that that content is really the best possible content. 
And, you know, pharma industry, no one ever uses that. So why should I bother? Or maybe I, it's because it's so terrible and I need to really fix it up. You know, you can kind of have those kinds of conversations and the marketing teams can really gain insight into not just what's working or not working, but where they should spend their time and, and energy. Okay. And then in terms of your adopters, uh, these marketing teams and sales professionals, are they typically in large enterprises or mid-sized organizations or small businesses? You know, we have a range, but most of our customers are uh, enterprises, you know, they're larger enterprises. You know, um, I would say anyone who's got a sales team of, of 25 people or more would see benefit from Seismic. If you have 100 people in your sales team, it's a no-brainer, the, 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 the return on the investment. Um, and, if, and we have customers who have thousands of people in their sales teams. And, and for them, it's, it's, you know, it's a really huge benefit um, mm -hmm. that improvement in, in efficiency of the marketing organization to support that, you know, the updating of the content materials, the ability to distribute it very precisely through the you know, different channels on the iPad or through Salesforce. Um, and then for the sales folks, you know, being able to ramp up and be trained more quickly. You know, we have uh, one large software vet customer, uh, software vendor that's in the Bay Area who's a customer of ours. And they were able to, um, you know, if one of their first things that they did with Seismic was to take their case studies and connect them to data. Right. So you can imagine if you have a thousand salespeople, you, some people you just hired, you're going to go call on a client. How do you know what case study to put in front of that client? Well, with Seismic, the right case study just sort of magically appears. <laughs> and, and, you've, and you've got the, the data to back it up in terms of you're going in with informed decisions uh, in, in terms of what you're putting in front of those clients. Right. That's right. And you can make your sales, you know, they can, the training curve uh, is, is steeper because it's, it's there and available for them. You know, lots and lots of things that really uh, um, can benefit, uh, can benefit the larger sales organizations. Okay, great. Uh, now, now, as you were building out this solution uh, and this platform, it sounds like you've been working with uh, long-term peers here in terms of, uh, as I understand it, the Seismic team includes, quote-unquote, three-time serial entrepreneurs. Is, is that just a matter of uh, all of your team is a bunch of entrepreneurs, but you've come from different backgrounds, or have you worked before uh, together before? It's a combination. So um, a group of us, uh, President Ed Kalman, uh, and I uh, uh, go back to the late 90s working on a software services startup company based in Boston. That's where we first met. Then we went our separate way. He went to a company called CapIQ, which is a, a startup at the time. Now It's now part of uh, uh, S&P. Mm -hmm. um, I went off and did uh, another software services venture called Objectiva Software Solutions, where I met Mark Romano and, and Nasser Barhiti, two of the other uh, founders uh, of Seismic, and, and we started working together uh, in Objectiva, which then became part of, um, of Document Sciences, a software company based here in Southern California that was a small NASDAQ company, and we did the turnaround, uh, led the turnaround there. I was the, the COO, and we met some additional members of our, of our team. Uh, we ultimately sold that business to uh, to EMC, uh, to the the, doc, the former Documentum team, part of EMC, where where uh, we were part of their uh, enterprise content management stack, and we met some other people who are part of the of the Seismic team, and some folks some folks left in the interim, and then you know Ed, Ed came back and joined us, and so the team has kind of gone separate ways and come back together again. Um, but uh, most of us have spent a, a large part of our career in, you know, either startup companies or relatively small companies doing turnarounds. 
And, um, and, you know, I think that the fact that we do know each other well and have a strong degree of trust and frankly, that we've been around the block a couple of times, you know, has really helped us be more successful, make a few, maybe avoid a few missteps that we might have otherwise made. Sure. You know, it, it, it's always exciting when you're able to blend startup, turnaround and enterprise experience within a management team. Uh, and, you know, you've also been involved in, in those uh, acquisitions and company sales to, uh, to EMC, for instance. Um, how has that experience shaped your management approach and your day-to-day mindset as you build out Seismic? Were there any missteps in your career or those other dealings or, or high points where you just sort of captured the moment uh, in your head and said, this is repeatable, we've got to keep going down this path in future companies? What have the previous experiences taught you as you build Seismic? You know, Joe, I'd say that, that the biggest one is um – you know, have there been any highlights? Have there been any missteps? There have been a lot of each. And probably the biggest lesson that I've taken away is that, you know, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. <laughs> Especially. I, I, I'm laughing and I'll, I'll let you complete the thought, but I'm laughing because when we launched our company uh, in September, our latest company, that's been part of our mantra. Uh, we made the mistake in our previous startup treating the company as a sprint from day one and it was not sustainable. We were exhausted by the time we, we sold the company. We, we did very well, you know, and we did right by the company that, that bought us. But that sprint mentality every day, well, it can kill you. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there are different ways to build companies. And, you know, there's certainly case studies out there where people have built a billion dollar business in a year. Right. Um, but that's, you know, the exception rather than the rule. Right. That's a, an, a, obviously a very talented, hardworking group who is at the right place at the right time. Right. And, you know, you know, there's a, that's a bit of luck. Uh, and so I think that, you know, for us, it was, uh, it was an idea that, Hey, we, we, we know what we, some problems that are pretty hard problems that we want to solve. We know technically how to get them done in a way that's pretty unique and pretty powerful. Uh, we know how to build a team and know how to build a business, you know, let's go do it. So, you know, our first year, we were literally in a basement uh, with, you know, no one knew we existed uh, building the product out. Right. So it was a sprint. We were working really hard, but we were more concerned that we got the product right than that we got out by, you know, this date or that date. And so, you know, having that mindset that you're in this for the long term, um, that you're going to have bad days are going to be competitors that show up that are scary. There's going to be, you know, great deals that appear out of nowhere sometimes when you need them the most. But that stuff's just going to happen, and you got to keep plugging away at it and keep working if you really believe in what you're doing. Um, that that that's probably the biggest takeaway from all of it. Understood. Great advice. Well, Doug, I hope you'll come back on the program if and when there's a Series C or any type of quote unquote financial event in the future. Sound fair enough? Would love to. I really appreciate the opportunity here. Hey, I appreciate it as well, Doug. Congratulations again on the Series B, and thank you so much for your time. Thank you. To appear in a podcast and discuss your business strategy, contact Amy Katz for sponsorship information. That's amy at afternines.com. Remember to visit afternines.com daily to read our latest blogs or to subscribe to our newsletter. And remember to join us every Tuesday night at 9.01 p.m. Eastern for Good Evening IT Entrepreneurs. I'm Joe Panateri, signing off for afternines.com. Mm-hmm.